title of my message, if you have an outline, um, is Working Out Your Fears. And so I thought that I would start off by asking, do you remember what you were afraid of growing up? Now, me. I was afraid of clowns. The reason why I was afraid of clowns was because of the movie It. Does anybody remember the movie It? Yep, some of the, okay, I got it. Um, now, the reason why I was afraid, because it wasn't an ordinary clown. It had a big red nose, long white face, and teeth like a shark. And it would eat kids. I was a kid, and I didn't want it to come after me, okay? He would have got a good meal, but I didn't want it to come after me. I was real scared of clowns. I didn't like them. Another thing I was scared of, spiders. Now, although I had, at one point, a pet tarantula, I was still scared of spiders because those things, boy, once they hit the ground, you knock them down or something like that, it's like they take off and you don't know where they went. You get bit. You you see these YouTube videos and stories of people getting bit and arms swelling up and all that good stuff. One of the more um, frightening things is if you're walking out, you're talking with a friend, you're just walking and all of a sudden you start freaking out because you walked into a spider web. So um, that happened to me a lot and I absolutely hate it. So I still hate it to this day. Another thing is horror movies. Now, I'm good now, but when I was a kid, horror movies were crazy. Um, If any of you remember Friday the 13th, Jason, Hockey Mask, Machete, I was afraid of them. Okay, I just couldn't stay up. Number five came out. I watched it. My mom wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me. I begged her. I pleaded. She finally let me. And then I cried and I couldn't go to sleep all night. So... uh, (laughs) Another thing, Hannibal Lecter, remember that horror movie? I forgot, I forgot the actual name of it. So, yeah, Silence of the Lambs. See, I always thought some crazy serial killer was going to eat me in the middle of the night. And again, a good meal, good meal, but I was afraid. And my mom, she's a big woman, okay? Some of you know this, six foot, about 270. And so I remember I was so afraid at night that I would go into the bed with her, pick up her stomach, and then put my head in. (laughs) That was my protection, okay? So um, just so you guys know a little bit about me and my mom. um, One last one was the movie Chucky. Now, um, uh, what is it? Child's Play, I think it was called. Now, when that movie came out, I was okay. And then the economy bursted out with the My Buddy Dolls. So they were about this big, and they looked just like Chucky. And I remember in the movie Chucky, um, they threw him down the stairs. Five minutes later, his his nose was bleeding. So as an activity to see if Chucky was real or my buddy doll was real, I'd bang his head (laughs) against the dresser drawer to make sure no blood came out. That means he wasn't real. So that's a little bit about me. And I'm sure that we all have our own stories that we were afraid of or something like that. You know, our fears, our phobias. But a better question is, what happens when those fears or those phobias aren't just a figment of our imagination, but they become very real to us? What happens when those fears um, cause us to act and be and do certain things in life? Now, there's a story, if some of you have Facebook and you're my friend, then you're privileged, number one. And then number two, you got a chance to see a, a, a post that I posted this weekend of um, a car crash that happened. Um, we were driving, and Becky had trouble with her car, and so I tried to work on it a little bit, and we took it for a test drive to see if it was okay. And we get up to a stoplight, and we're coming through, and we see a car overturned 
all the way on top, and it was one of the newer S or CRVs. So it was a big car, but it was overturned, windows broken everywhere, and then we saw another little Honda-type car um, slammed into the curb and on the sidewalk a little bit, and it was just a scary situation. And I remember Becky was like, should we stop? Do we call 911? And I was just like, I don't know. Should we stop? And, and she was like, I don't know. Is someone in there? And I was thinking, no, because it was so unreal. I've never seen a car flipped over. I've never been the first one to be there. And so I was like, no one can't be in there. They've got to already be out. And then we saw moving and stuff like that. And I was like, call 911. And I stopped the car, and I jumped out, and I ran over. And I, um, I'm in there, and I'm looking, is everything okay? And they're upside down. I can't get her out of the seat belt. And so I pushed up on her, and the husband hit the thing, and she dropped. And then got her out, and then got him out. And it was a scary situation. It was totally one of those things that, um, man, I was just, I was just it, was, it was instinct. I was just going. And some would say, and I, and I heard this afterwards, and I... And I no, it's true, but some would say you're not supposed to remove people from a car crash. You're supposed to leave them alone just in case they're hurt, they got a back injury. Paramedics should be a part of that. Um, you're supposed to be there for no reason, I guess. Um, so, but in that, I, I guess it was fear that kind of caused me to act upon that instinct. You know, those emotions. The, it was an in-the-moment type of thing. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, what if this thing blows up? we got to get them out of there. I mean, I've seen too many movies of cars blowing up, gas leaking, all that stuff. And I was fearful for me and for them because I, I remember I was like, i got to get them out before this thing blows or maybe they're hurt and they just need to get out. I've been in a car crash before and you're kind of in shock and you need air and all that stuff. And so... I was fearful for them, but I was even fearful for me. In trying to get the lady out of her seatbelt and all that good stuff, I was thinking, this thing could blow any moment. But it didn't make me just get out and run away. You know, I was still trying to go as fast as I could. And when I thought about that story and I was reading through God's Word and I was preparing the message for this week, I was thinking, okay, what about us? And talking about fear, out of fear, we, we definitely do some crazy things, some unthinkable things. Out of fear, our direction is most often decided. Rather, it's, it's out of that fear that our, our direction is decided rather than it's directed by the Spirit of the living God. So fear, it has the potential to, to move us in directions that some, so often we don't anticipate or we don't initiate ourselves. Fear causes us to perhaps even ignore situations or people. We like to stay away. And then on the flip side of that, fear causes us to give in to certain situations or people. It causes us to run away from situations or people. It causes us to impulsively, like my story with that car crash, impulsively make decisions, forgetting logic and making no room for the Spirit of God to leave. We just act upon instinct impulse, emotions. And so what can we understand about fear as we jump into the Word of God? I think that's the first thing. And, and, and working out our fears, there's some things that we have to understand about fear. One person said this, what is needed rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or any other resistance is understanding fear. That means watch it, learn about it, come directly in contact with it. We are to learn about fear, not how to escape it. Another person said this, nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. 
And I think that's where it starts, understanding fear. And so I want you to open your outlines and turn to Genesis 31. We're going through two chapters today, and we'll do a little bit of jumping around, but I promise this won't be too heavy for you. Again, there were some things that spoke very plainly to me as in reading the Word of God this week. So Genesis 31, 32, that's the first book. If you don't know it, when you got it, say amen. Amen. All right. So Genesis 31. Before we go ahead and talk about Genesis 31, let me sum up 30 real quick. We all remember Pastor Mike's message last week. If you don't know, here's a brief little summary. Jacob, a mighty man with great muscles, he decided to move a rock. As soon as he moved that rock for this girl, Rachel, she fell for him wish it was that easy, but it's not. Um, So he decided to move this rock, and he moved it right in front of Rachel so that she was all excited. Then he moved in straight for a kiss, which is just out of the blue. And um, he decides to work for her father um, for 14 years, and then kind of gets deceived or tricked into working another six. So 20 whole years of proving how much he loves Um, Rachel. And as Pastor Mike said, when you love somebody, you're willing to go through anything with them, blah, blah, blah. So so he's working with these people, or he's working for Laban in hopes to get Rachel and all that good stuff. And um, it ends with Jacob wanting to leave. Hey, I've raised enough money. I can support, support Rachel now. I've worked 20 years. Laban, let me take your, your daughter. Let's get out of town. You know, let me start my own little, um, my own little thing. I want to go back to my land and all that good stuff. And Laban kind of tricks him into staying again. And actually, God divinely intercedes and allows uh, Jacob to leave. He becomes blessed by a certain circumstance and situation. And so Jacob decides that he wants to leave. God has favored him. And so now it's time. And that's where we pick up in verse 31. Are you with me? Or chapter 31. Are you with me? All right. 31. It says this. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is no longer favorable Um, as before with me, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I've served your father. Yet your father has deceived me, changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he, if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore speckle. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore streak. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. You're saying speckled, streaked, what's going on here? Real quick, he's just saying, hey, um, what had happened was I'm working with your dad. He changed my wages 10 times, and he said, okay, you can stay if all the sheep that you're working with are born spotted. They have spots on them. They're not perfect white sheep, but they have spots on them. And so God interceded and made the sheep all turn spotted. And so he was, he was favored. And then Laban changed this up again, said, okay, you can, you can leave as long as the sheep are born streaked that you're handling. 
And so God favored Jacob and all the sheep started bearing streaked, you know, kids, offspring. And so you see that God was divinely favoring, favoring Jacob the whole time. And so it says in verse 10, and it happened at the time when the flocks actually... We get the picture of what's going on here. It's just talking about the sheep again. Skip down with me, if you will, to 14. Verse 14, it says, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion of our inheritance for us with our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really yours and our children's now then. Whatever God he has said to you, Go ahead and do it. In verse 17, Then Jacob rose and set the sons and wives on camels, and he carried all away the livestock and all the possessions which he had gained. He acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And pay attention to this very important part because we're going to see this again. Now Laban had gone, verse 19, had gone to shear his sheep. Rachel had stolen a household idols that were her father's. And then Jacob stole away unknown to Laban, the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountain of Gilead. So are you with me? Say amen. All right, all right. So we see what happened. He gets out of town. Uh, he says, hey, Rachel, Leah, are you with me? Your dad, he's messed me over, but God has blessed me countless times. And so what do you want to do? And they said, hey, everything that was our father's is now yours. We have nothing. We're with you. But on the way out, a couple things Jacob decides to do. Let's not tell Laban. Let's just sneak away. And then Rachel says, I need to pick up a few things. Apparently they weren't hers. So she went ahead and she went to the house. She stole a few household items, superstitious value and all that good stuff. And they take off without letting Laban know. And so that's what's going on. And so I want us to kind of skip over, skip over to verse 30. Now, before we read that verse, because this is going to give us to our, get us to our first point. Before we read that verse, what had happened was Laban, he wake, he gets done working in the fields, all that stuff. He comes home and he says, man, everybody's gone. What's going on? And they took my household items or my idols. Let's go get them. Now, on his way to go get them, um, possibly force him to come back, possibly to um, cause some harm, God speaks to him and says, hey, do not be overly good to them, nor um, be evil to them. And it's the idea. Don't try and persuade them with your, your fake generosity to stay. Don't be overly good. But don't be over evil either. Don't, don't try to um, do, cause any harm or any conflict in the situation to force them to stay. And so now he basically goes to say his, his piece. And he finally meets up with um, uh, Jacob and he says, Why did you just leave without telling me? And you stole from me. It says in verse 30, now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Why have you, in verse, and actually if we, verse 26, if we back up, why have you done away, stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters? So his answer in verse 31 is this. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me 
by force. Jacob, he left things unsettled. He left in a disrespectful way almost. And Rachel steals something of superstitious value. And it brings us to our first point. Fear induces doubt and breeds bad decision making. It induces doubt and breeds bad decision making. I thought I'd use very, uh, what should I say, um, childbearing terms since we have a lot of people having babies these last couple of weeks and months and all that good stuff. But it's the idea that fear brought about doubt and bad decision making, to say the least. And we see this guy just leave town and in the process His wife steals from dad. He leaves things unsettled. It's a mess and it creates anger inside of Laban. All this good stuff. Things aren't really looking good. Notice that sometimes when God says it's okay to leave. When God provides direction, sometimes and most often he doesn't give you instruction upon that. He leaves that open for you. That's called free will. Now, he might tell you where to go or what direction to go, but he doesn't necessarily want to give you the how-to on how to reach that destination. That's for you to make uh, some very godly decisions in the process of going a certain direction. Another verse, another very cool story um, about bad decision-making and what fear kind of can do to you. Galatians 2, you can go ahead and turn there with me, but in Galatians 2, chapter 11 and 12, it says this. I'm sorry, chapter 2, yes, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Now here's Paul, and he's confronting someone. He says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So um, here you have Paul. He actually says, I withstood Peter. I actually told him. I rebuked him. I stood up to him and I said, why are you doing this? You're eating with Gentiles, and then all of a sudden when the people of circumcision, you know, the Jews, they kind of walk on in, the God's people, they walk on in. You kind of withdraw yourself from the the Gentiles, and you go hang out with the Jews like it's bad to hang out with these Gentiles. Everyone's God's people. And he speaks to them. But notice it said he did this out of fear. He did this out of fear. You know, things don't work themselves out. We have to work things out and be done with them. We have to work them out and not hash them out because a lot of people, they'll say, well, we hashed it out. We hashed it out and we we reached a solution. No, that just means that you forced one and no one's really happy. So we need to work things out in a godly fashion. If you want, you could turn to Matthew 18, but that that gives us an idea how we're to deal with people when it comes to certain circumstances. Matthew 18 says this, Matthew 18, verse 15 Oh, I'm sorry, verse 20. Yes, verse 15, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice, confront. Tell him what's wrong here. If he hears you, you've gained him. 
But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that the mouth of two or three witnesses' word may be established. And then if he refuses, tell him to go to, or tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and tax collector. So it's the idea, hey, go speak to someone. Confront them about something. That doesn't work. Bring someone with you and then speak to them. Pray with them. Come up with a solution. Don't hash it out. Work it out. If that doesn't work, hey, get the church involved. And that's the idea. If we look back at Jacob's story, there really was no working out to be done. God said, okay, I give you permission to leave. And he took that as an excuse to run away. And I think for us to understand how this fear thing works out, for us to understand that, man, what fear can do can breathe doubt and, and birth bad decision-making. We have to understand something about God. And that's your bullet point for today. God is able. That's your sub-point. If we have this goal-oriented mindset of understanding fear, then we need to understand that God is able in the midst of our fears. In Genesis 31.3, it says this, In Genesis 31.3, it says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. And so it's the idea that even in the midst of providing direction, there was a blessing attached. And that's how God always works. I need you to go here, and I'll be with you. Now, he didn't say this is how you're to do it. This is how you're to leave. This is how you need to handle situations. He just told them the destination. Now, on your way to the destination, I'll be with you. That should have been more than enough to actually have Jacob make some good godly decisions. Understanding the God who is able is with me. And that's why you see, you'll, and you will see this again and again and again in 2 Timothy 1.7, is if God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and sound mind. But the first one is power. Not only that God is powerful, but that He is powerful in us. That same God lives and breathes within us. God is able. When that job doesn't look promising and, and you're not sure life's direction, you're trying to figure things out, God is able. Relationship seems to be broken, God is able. Money seems to be tight. And you got kids that need to be fed and they're costing you an arm and a leg and it's Orange County and you're thinking, my kids are spoiled. God is able. God is able. Economy seems to be going in a downward spiral. I was taking pictures of my gas tank. It's on E again. And I was sending it to Becky. It's on E again because I've been driving around. Gas ain't cheap. But I know that God is able. Broken marriage needs fixing. God is able. Someone in the family making poor moral decisions. Pray harder because God is able. Trying to reach a person for Christ and they won't accept him. God is able. I learned, someone said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers the fear. And that tells me what bravery, what courage, what, what triumph over fear really looks like. You see, sometimes we are so crippled by our fear. I don't, I don't want to love that person, or I don't want to trust them anymore because of what they did. See, Overcome that. God's love overcomes that. God is able. He is powerful. He can restore that which is broken. 
So in the midst of understanding our fears, in the midst of understanding that sometimes when we are filled with fear, when we're fearful, it will induce doubt and create an atmosphere of bad decision-making, we need to understand God is able. But secondly, secondly, fear breathes expectations of failure over blessing. Fear breathes expectations of failure over blessing. That's what fear does. Now, if we fast forward, we go to Genesis 32, we see a couple different things. And I got time to read, so I will. So in chapter 32, verse 1, it says this. So Jacob, he went on his way, and and let me just back up. Jacob, he actually handled things with Laban. Got all worked out, and it, and it, notice it didn't get hashed out, it got worked out. Talked about it, they made a covenant with one another. Hey, I won't harm you, you won't harm me, we're going to go our separate ways, everything's good now. And so now, Jacob's on his way to meet his brother Esau. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks in our series, you remember Esau. Esau was the guy who Jacob had stole a blessing from. Esau got mad, and it created this tension where mom sent Jacob away. Said, hey, get out of here. I don't know what your brother is capable of. I just know he's angry, and I don't want you to feel his wrath. So Jacob gets out of town. Now Jacob's coming back to town, and here's what's going on. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Um, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is, the, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim. You get me. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Sire, the country of Edom. And he, and he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with, the La- dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. See what's going on here? Seems like a little bribe going on here. He's trying to sneak his way into into Esau's good favor. Hey, my Lord, I'm coming into town, but I got some stuff with me and it's all yours. Accept me. Verse 6, Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is also coming to meet you. 400 men are with him. So now you'd imagine probably Jacob gets fearful. Verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and tacks it, then the other company which is left will will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord um, who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will dwell with you. Or I will deal with well with you. I am not worthy of least of all your mercies and of all your truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Lest he come and attack me and the mother of, with the children. 
For you said, I surely will treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night. He took what had come to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats. And all, actually, I'm going to sum that up. He gets all this stuff together and you see what's going on. He is trying to do anything and everything. He sits there and he says, let's send some people out. Comes back with some fearful news, perhaps. 400 people are coming to meet me. Let's split up. You go this way, you go that way. I need to go over here and I need to pray with God. As he prayed with God and after that, he said, okay, now I need to go ahead and offer some more presents. So when this guy comes, we're going to meet him with gifts. And maybe that will help too. Fear breeds expectations of failure over blessing. You see how many times we heard the word fear or fearful or afraid? Jacob, he was afraid and it caused him to expect failure in this relationship rather than blessing. Even within his prayers to God, he, he acknowledges the fact that God has already blessed him. God, you said I'm going to be numbered as far as you know, the, the, the sand and the seashore, all that good stuff. Man, my, my kids are going to be popping out everywhere like rabbits. This is going to be great. I'm going to get here. I'm going to be fine. And even in that, he was afraid. So even in acknowledging God's blessing, he was still afraid. And I think that's what we see here is, man, it caused him to expect failure over blessing. And so my encouragement to you is don't expect failure when God has already promised blessing. Understand that his love is priority. And that's our second bullet point here. God's priority is love. Second Timothy 1 7 says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. His love for you, his love for him, or I mean, sorry, his love for you and your love for him and others. You know, when I think about uh, that good old story, David and Goliath, and it's an awesome story of, man, this guy rising up to be a king and all that good stuff and not being fearful. But the reason why he wasn't fearful is because he had already understand or already understood a blessing that God was with him and would always be with him. No one could meet the match of God Almighty, and that is the God he served. And so everything was good. And that love relationship, understanding how God is with you, so who could be for, against you, that love relationship is that perfect bond of peace. Romans, I'm sorry, Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 12. This is an awesome verse that tells me a lot about the God I serve. And it should also dictate how I move with this God I serve. Romans 10, 12 says this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. What did I say? My bad. Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And that's the love of this beautiful and magnificent Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That love covers all of our sins. And it's that love that gets us through. That's that perfect bond of peace, that amazing grace. And if Jacob would have understood that perfect bond of peace and love with the Father, then he wouldn't have been afraid. 
And so we don't need to go into certain situations expecting to fail because God loves you and God's love is way bigger than that. It does say in Romans, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we don't have to go into a relationship fearful if they love you or not. Just love them. We don't have to give up on someone because we don't feel the same love that maybe you once had. We can love them for the sake of God's love being cultivated in the people. What you reap is what you sow. It's the idea of loving people, understanding that God is with you, loving people even when they don't love you back. Maybe they'll come around and you're thinking, well, that's unfair. Love them and maybe they'll come around. That's unfair. Well, isn't that what God did for us? He says we love him because he first loved us. You see, he died for us And he bestowed his amazing grace on us. And as a result, we were captivated by it. And we loved him. But it's only because he first loved us. God's priority is love. His love for you, your love for him, your love for others. That's what breaks through fear. Understanding God is able. He can do anything. And more importantly, he lives in me. So I can do anything with him. But God's priority is love. He loves me. I don't have to be fearful of anything because I have this love bond with God who will protect, provide, and be with me forever. But thirdly, fearfulness has no place in the heart of a child of God. The time has come to overcome your fears. When I was thinking of this, I said I had the but in my head. I was like, but, you know, we should fear God. That's the idea of really knowing who God is, respecting Him, having a healthy fear. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. One of my favorite portions of scriptures, I was talking to Patty about this and I couldn't wait to share it. Jacob wrestling with God. Some people know the story, some people don't. So go ahead and turn. Chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. What is this going to tell us about fearfulness having no place in the heart of a child of God and overcoming your fears? Verse 22 says, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. Now, keep in mind, nothing has changed so far. He's scared. He's going to meet his brother Esau, all that good stuff. And here he is. He arose in the middle of the night, took his... His family crossed over the fort of Jabbok in verse 23. It says, He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. 
just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, but he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. And so here is this amazing story of understanding fear and overcoming it. You see, although things may be intimidating and scary, those things are no more than opportunities for you to overcome. Jacob ran into an angel of the Lord and spent all night wrestling with him. In fact, Scripture says that, and that he stated, I will not go until you bless me. When I played basketball, if I went in fearful, if I went into the game fearful of what wrong I might do, I'd never aim for accomplishing the right that I'm capable of. I will not go until you bless me. Is that your attitude with the things of this life? Man, I talked about job. I talked about relationship. I talked about perhaps um, the economy, moving, not knowing where to move, what to do. Do you really wrestle with it? Do you cling to the Lord until you get your blessing? Do you hold on until a blessing comes? The sub-point is, God blesses the courageous. There's no doubt about that here. We have to be courageous. We have to look fear in the face and be courageous. I'm scared of what will happen to me. I'm scared of what will happen to my, my family or my daughter, my son, or my, uh, my wife, my kids, whatever it is. I'm fearful. Look that in the face and understand God blesses the courageous. That's exactly what God did to Jacob. He demanded a blessing, and he got what he asked for. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. And it's the idea that this God living in us, can he's given us all the things that pertain to a life of godliness, as the Scripture says. And David and Goliath, David wasn't cocky, he was confident, disciplined his heart to know and trust God, focused on the truth, the promises of God being with him. He was then able to conquer that which brought fear to many. That's courage. God blesses the courageous. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, God blesses the courageous. Amen. Jacob, and he was courageous. He held tight for a blessing. He wanted his blessing. He fought for his blessing. In fact, God changed his name and he was no longer Jacob, the heel catcher, the deceiver. His name was Israel, which was translated God's fighter. Think about it. He fought for a blessing from his dad. He escaped his brother Esau's wrath. And actually as a spoiler in the next chapter that Pastor Mike has to deal with next week is they actually reunite. Everything's good. Esau actually runs and embraces him and weeps in his arms. Reach a solution with the father-in-law after fighting for Rachel. He, he sought resolution with his brother after many years, and he wrestled a blessing out of God himself. And he's a fighter for sure. The question is, are you? Are you a fighter? Do you fight? 
Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in His own time. God, the Blessed One, the only Ruler, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in an approachable light, whom no one has seen or can see to Him, be honor and might forever. Fight the good fight. Look it in the face. Be courageous. That's what we are to be. Soldiers for Christ, marching against fear, in the face of fear, looking at it and understanding God is able. His priority is love. Nothing can separate us from that. He blesses the courageous. So what? Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. Be a fighter. That's the so what today. And understanding this, you might want to write these three quick notes down after the so what before I go ahead and pray. Understand this really quick. And conquering his fears, there were some things Jacob didn't do well. Now, he wasn't perfect, and none of us are, and that's what we notice. But there are some things he did well. He did three things that I really love that tell me how to fight fear. Number one, Jacob listened. He listened to God. We see that in Genesis 31.3. God said, hey, go back home. You're good. Remember, he didn't tell him how. He just said, you can leave. But Jacob listened. Second thing Jacob did, Jacob prayed. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. We remember that prayer. Oh man, he was nervous. He decided to get, he was afraid and he didn't know what to do. And so, hey God, remember you said you'd bless me, you'd be with me. And he spent time in prayer with God. And prayer wasn't enough. Listening to God and praying with God wasn't enough. The third thing is Jacob demanded a victorious blessing. I think sometimes we stop short of that third principle. I'll pray. I'll listen to God. But when things don't go right, I'll just be a coward about it. And God's saying, no, take it one step further. Listen to me. Pray with me. Talk with me. Trust me. But more importantly, make sure you demand that victorious blessing that I've already promised. Don't be fearful. Be a fighter. Let's pray. Dear God, you are an amazing God. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory and praise. God, it's so awesome to see the story of Jacob. We got a chance to read a lot of Scripture today, God. We got to see what fear does. We got to understand fear and how destructive it can be. God, it can induce, it can induce so much bad things in our life. Induce doubt and breathe bad decision-making. But we know that you're able. You are able, God. God, we want to be fighters. We want to be people who understand who you are. We want to expect blessings over failure, not the other way around. We want to be people who understand that fearfulness has no place in our hearts. It's all about you, your spirit, living and breathing in us. 
God, help us to be a fighter. Help us to listen. Help us to pray. And help us to demand that which you've already promised. To look our fears in the face and overcome them with you. We love you and praise you. And we ask that you would move in a mighty way and be our courage, our stronghold, our light of life. In Jesus' name, amen.